0: Love one another. Three words, repeated all through the New Testament, a seemingly simple command. I I don't think simple to obey, right? (laughs) But to understand, I I don't think when we hear love one another, many of us are scratching our head going, gosh, I just don't know what that means. No, it's it's a relatively simple command to understand And yet, we're getting ready to read a passage in 1 John. That's the series we're in. If you're new to our church, I think this is, I don't even remember now. I think we're in our seventh or eighth week in 1 John and just on chapter 3. But we're getting ready to read a a lengthy passage on loving one another. And and you want to know something crazy? If you'll remember, John's already talked to us about loving one another or even crazier. John's not done talking, not even after today, is he done talking with us about loving one another. As a matter of fact, in this short book, only five chapters long, eight separate, eight distinct times, he's going to talk to us about loving one another. Now, I think somewhere along there, for me, it only takes about, I think it was about the third time where I'm going I, I get it, John. Lo, lo, love one another. <laughs> I mean, there's just not that much to this, right? I mean, do you get to that place where why are, why are we doing this over and over? And yet maybe John's looking at me or you and going, do you get it? Do, do you really get it? When you hear the, the command, love one another, what do you hear that you're being told to do? For whom? For whom do you believe you're being told to do that? I I, I wonder if our understanding of what loving one another is so far below what God has in mind and for so very few than God has in mind. That's why we keep hearing this over and over and over. Let's see if we can grab a little bit more of what God has for us in this command. And here's some good news. If I completely miss it today, there's four more times after this in this short letter to get it right. So let's see what uh, John has for us. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I hope all of us have got 1 John pretty marked now in our Bible. If you're new with us, though, you'll find it near the end of your Bible. Go to Revelation and back up a few pages and you'll find it pretty quickly, First John chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Most of this series, we've been taking five, seven verses, I think one time as many as ten verses, but today, kind of a longer passage, we're taking 14 verses, uh, reading to the end of this chapter. Let me begin in verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. So, that's John's b- fancy biblical way of saying, I know you've already heard this. Right? I mean, he knows he's being repetitive. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain. Now, here here we are at the very end of the Bible. I mean, we turn a couple of pages, like I just said, and we're in Revelation. And yet now John is carrying us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Like to the third or fourth page of the Bible, Genesis 4, and now we're talking about Cain. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Well, that's not a great way to be described, is it? And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, verse 13 is not what this passage is really about. It, it's kind of a parenthetical statement. He, he introduces this conflict, this tension, between one who is trusting in God, one who is trusting in Christ for their righteousness, versus one who's trusting in their self trusting in their own good works, trusting in their own spirituality. There is a conflict. There is a tension. There is a hatred there. You and I are feeling that today. And John says, you know, this has been going on since like the very, very beginning. Verse 14, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Well, that's a big verse right there. I wonder how many of us, maybe all of us, at one time or another, we we wonder, man, am I really a Christian? Am I really a believer? How how do I know for sure? Well, there's John answering that. If you have love for the body of Christ, if you have a, a growing, increasing, engaging love with the body of Christ, that is evidence that you've been born again, that you have passed from spiritual death into spiritual life. But a person who has no love is still dead they've not been born again. They're they're still spiritually dead. Verse 15, anyone who hates his brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. You know, you just don't ever read anything from John and go, hmm, I wonder what he's trying to say. He's very, 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 very clear. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Okay, verse 16 is a huge verse. You know, what what is a definition of love? What does love do? Verse 16 is pointing us to that. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters if someone has enough money, now verse 17 is an illustration of verse 16. You and I were just told to be ready, to be willing to die for each other. Good news. Most of the time, that's not going to be necessary, right? But if I'm willing to die for you, then anything less than dying ought to be relatively a lot easier, wouldn't you think? So then is, here's the illustration that, okay, now you're ready to die. But now, wait a minute. If you've got money, if you've got the world's goods on you and you see somebody in need and and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Now, we're good at that. I can say a lot of things, right? But that's not what we're going to be in here. We're not going to be people who just say that we love each other. Let us show the truth. By our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. And boy, there's a lot of things that come from being confident. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and we do the things that please Him. What pleases Him? Loving one another. And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him and He with them. And we know He lives in us because the Spirit He gave us lives in us. So loving one another is a theme of this short letter, is a theme of John. And the reason for that's pretty simple, that's a theme of Jesus. That, that, that's a theme of the New Testament. I think Jesus really kind of sets the standard for this, kind of kicks it off, if you will, in the New Testament that night in the upper room. When when he said to his disciples in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now look at that. Why why does he call it a new commandment? I mean, we just heard John say right here, we've, we've known this from the very beginning. This command's been around for a long time, and yet there's Jesus saying, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, what's new is those two words One another. This verse is not about going home and loving your family. Are there, are there verses? Is there scripture about going home and loving your family? Yes, thank you. Yes, this verse is not about loving strangers or enemies or just people out there. Are there verses for that? Yes, of course. But that's not what this verse is about. You all have heard me talk about this a number of times. Those two words, one another in the New Testament, are always a reference to the body of Christ. You and I in here together. And there's over 30 commands about what we do for one another, love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, help one another. Put up with one another. No, that's not being metaphorical. That's actually right there in the scripture. Put up with are you kidding me, God? I tried to erase it. It's a stain in the scripture. It won't come out. Put up with. That's right. when we're doing this one another, and we're putting up. With the annoying one. Don't point anybody. Don't point out. Don't do that. So when we see love one another, the new commandment is this. It's a new focus. Hey, I've sent you all to do all kinds of love and, and different people and different reasons. But right now, here's a newness. Here's a new focus in this love. I want you to deeply, desperately love the people you're sitting in here with today. Now, obviously, that's a command to love every believer everywhere, isn't it? I, I am to love not just what it say, not just with words. Oh, yeah, I love Christians everywhere. Really, what actions show that? I, I am to love eight billion. Oh, no, excuse me. That's the number of people on the earth. At least one billion Christians, one billion followers of Christ. I am to love them. But then Jesus says, okay, let's hone this down a little bit, and here's what I'm going to do. Because if I give you a billion, you're just going to say, oh, I love everybody. But I'm going to give you a church. I'm going to give you a local church. And that's where you're going to remember our word last week, practice. That's where you're going to practice this love. So we have now a new focus, but then how did the verse finish? I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a new standard. You don't find that command prior to this. We are now to love each other, not just by how we feel, not by how what you're going to do back for me. My standard, my model, my target in loving you is the way that Jesus Christ loved me. So I've got a new focus, and I've got a new definition on this command to love. I am to love you, and I'm to love you the same way that Christ loved me. So Jesus kind of lays that out big, and I said a moment ago, it's not only a theme of Jesus, it's a theme of the New Testament. We're not going to walk through the entire New Testament, but let me just give you a sampling so that if you're not sure of this, you can get a picture of it. Romans 13, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. 1 Thessalonians, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love. Love one another. First Peter chapter 1, love one another earnestly. That means with energy, with honesty. You really actually are trying to do just that. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And because it's a theme of Jesus, because it is a theme of every New Testament writer, then it's no wonder that Jesus says to you and me again in the upper room that night, this love you have for one another is going to mark you. That's how a watching world is going to know you're a follower of mine. It's not your doctrine. Is doctrine important? Yes, it is. We've all, remember we've already heard from First John. There's no glory in being a dum dum for Jesus. He wants us to study. He wants us to grow. He wants us to learn. We're going to get a little bit more of that next week as we see why it is so important that we have knowledge, that we know our doctrine, that we understand our doctrine. But he he said, Doctrine's not going to mark you because guess what? The world could care less what you believe. That doesn't affect anything impact anything. They don't care. What you believe. They don't care what church you go to. No, what marks you as a follower of Christ is the love we have for each other. It is actually to be a lure, an attractant. They can't help. They have to look. They have to look at the way that you and I relate. Folks, clearly, loving one another is at the forefront of what it means to be a Christian. Isn't that what he says in verse 23? Look at it there. And this is the commandment. This is it. Let me me just get to where we're going. Believe in Jesus. Love one another. Now, the way that's that's put together could be a little bit confusing for us. Because every time we hear this is the big deal, believe in Jesus, we think, oh, we're talking about being saved. We're talking about heaven. There's one way to be saved. There's one way to heaven. And that is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's not talking about salvation here. He's answering the question, what is the Christian life? What does it mean to be a Christian? Man, it means you believe in Christ, and that is evidenced, look at verse 18 and 19. That is evidenced by your love for each other. What, what an important thing. I mean, I said it a moment ago, we, we are going to go throughout our Christian journey, and there's just going to be times, I wonder, man, how do I know how do I know if I'm really a Christian? How do I know if I'm really a believer? Well, you should be able to see a growing love for the body of Christ. So this is what it means to be a Christian. Well, now that we've set it out there that big and that bold, then that leaves us thinking, well, okay, am I, am I doing, what does it mean to love one another? Maybe I really need to make sure I understand this. How do I measure this in my life? And John says, you know, I'm glad you asked. So, so let me kind of give you a spectrum to put yourself on. On one side, we have the ideal love of Christ. Love as I have loved you. And that is described, where is it? In verse 16, as, as he lays down his life. That, that's what it means to, to love each other. Loving each other is not me walking into this room and going, you know, I don't... I don't think there's a single person in here I hate. Oh, I guess I'm loving. I'm just like Jesus. N- n- no. <laughs> yet, yet, no, I cannot hate anybody in this room. But not hating doesn't mean I have fulfilled the command to love one another. Oh, So on the one side is Jesus. Well, folks, Jesus sees people. Do you notice that when you read the Gospels? He goes into a big crowd and he sees the one with the need. That's the standard. That's what I'm, I'm, to, I'm to be coming into this room. And a lot of you I know, some I don't know, and, and we'll have brief interactions. But what if I was, what if you were, what if every one of us that was here today was praying as we walked in, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear who I need to see and hear today. May I love the one that only, Lord, only I can love and serve that person today, no matter the cost. No matter the cost, no matter the time, no matter the annoyance, Lord, help me to see, help me. Isn't that what Jesus did when he walked into a crowd? He would see the person. Think how many times you and I, even at church, walk into a group. And let's be honest, sometimes we're thinking, how do I get in here and how do I get out of here without being seen? Without having to have a conversation. Do you know Jesus never moves into our midst and says, how do I get in and out of here without being seen? without having to talk to anybody. So if I'm loving like, if that's the idea, I and mean, that's what I'm measuring myself by now, I'm, trying, I'm practicing loving like Jesus, that's at one end of the spectrum here, then I'm moving into a group of people. Hey, the reason to be here today is to practice. Practice loving like Jesus. That means I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to be able to practice loving. Now, the other end of the spectrum is the murderous, hateful Cain wow. (laughs) I mean, that's quite a a spectrum, isn't it? I mean, John has done it again. Have I just about now, I think I've said this, every single message in John, John and his dichotomies. He's got these clear, stark dichotomies. We've seen sin versus righteousness, light versus dark, children of God versus children of the devil. Today, it's the ideal love of Christ and and the hate, the murderous spirit of Cain. And, and, you know, in some ways I would like to say, John, that's not, that's not a real good challenge because it's too easy for me and you to say, what well, I, I haven't murdered anybody. I don't hate anybody. And, and a matter of fact, I, I, I think I would say, if I'm being honest, I'm going to say, hey, you know, John, I feel, I feel like it's possible for me to not like some people without murdering them, to not like some people without Hating them. I don't call it hate. And yet he gives us these these two options. You know, you're you're either practicing the love of Jesus or you're practicing the hate of Cain. And I want to say, I I don't want I I want a third option. Don't you want a third option? I mean, I think a lot of us are gonna say, I'm pretty sure I'm not exactly like Jesus just yet. But I don't want to be called Cain. I don't want to say I'm doing that. You know, I've been thinking about this third option a lot this week. Because I really do believe the Spirit and John kind of miss it here. Because it's just so easy for me to say I'm not Cain. And I came to this conclusion. Maybe I am so absolutely far from actually understanding what loving one another is. I'm so far from doing that for all the people he would have me to do that and it is my distance from that command is why i want a third option because if i really grasped what that was i would never want a third option if i really grasped what that was i wouldn't be looking for an in-between I'd be striving after, driving after, wanting one thing, that ideal love of Christ. You know, the the fact is, so many times we're very content, aren't we? We're content to say, I'm not a murderer. I don't hate. I'm not Cain. Without ever coming close to practicing the love of Christ. I mean, it really comes down to... Hey, I I, I don't hate anybody. I just don't like some people. Okay, fine. You don't like... Hey, that's real. That's real. Even in church, that's real. That's the world we live in. There's just some people I'm not going to like. But when I'm not liking, what am I practicing? Am I practicing being the ideal love of Christ? Or am I practicing more like what murderous, hateful Cain did. Well when you look at it like that, if if, you know if I got a now it's pretty clear why there's not three options. There's not a middle option. You know, God came to to Cain and, and he warned him. He said, Cain man, you're on the wrong practice field. You, you are on the wrong practice field. You're going in the, in the wrong direction. I, I think God, I think the Scriptures would challenge you and me not to trust ourselves so much with hate and anger. Not to trust ourselves so much with the ability to not, I just don't like somebody. And the way God said that to Cain, He came to him in, in Genesis 4 verse 7, and He said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. The translation, I I think that's the English standard I have up there, fills in the word master. The the actual literal word there is its desire is for you, and that word means to master or to control. Folks, Genesis 4-7 is a massive principle for understanding life and what you're doing this week. This isn't just about anger or love. or Listen, everything you do this week, every conversation, every relationship, every frustration, every dream, every decision, everything you're doing this week, sin, Satan, are right there crouching at the door of your life looking for a way in. They're looking for a way to master and control your life. And by our various sins, especially the ones we've gotten really good at, we create automatic doors in for Satan that he can get into any time. But what the Scripture's warning right here is there's a big door in every single one of our lives. There's a way in that, that, that every single one of us struggle. All kinds of things we don't all struggle with the same, but one, anger. Anger. Man, man, when, when you are handling anger, when you're handling being annoyed, when you're handling who you don't like, that is a, a big place in for Satan. And that's why God comes back again in Ephesians chapter four and says, It sounds like all different words, and it's saying the exact same thing as Genesis 4-7. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Give no opportunity to the devil. Why? Because it's crouching. It's right there waiting at your heels. It's right there. As soon as the window is cracked, as soon as the door comes open, sin and Satan are coming in. Folks this verse is not about the location of the sun or the time of the day. It's about a principle for living life. Do not tarry long on your anger. Don't live there, don't spend any time. Do you realize that verse that verse it said be angry Listen, you live in a fallen, broken world, you're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. There ain't a planet where that's not an option for you. That is real. It doesn't say don't be angry because God doesn't command the impossible. He commands the possible. Be angry, but don't sin. Well, how am I not going to sin? Don't tarry on it. James chapter 1, I didn't put the verse up there. James chapter 1, God says, I will never accomplish my righteous purposes through your anger. Your anger might be right. Your anger might be good. Listen to this. Not one time in your entire life on this planet will God come up to you and say, hey, I want to work alongside you on this one. I I just think you're dead on, and I need to come right here, and I need to work with you. Actually, what he says is, I will never use your anger. I will never, ever, ever accomplish what I'm doing in this situation through your anger, through your frustration, through your not liking this person. And then Satan comes in, because Satan understands us. And Satan says, man, I don't know what that was all about. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, if I was God, I'd, I'd jump on your anger right now. I really think we could use this. I'll tell you what, I'll use your anger. See how James 1, Ephesians 4, see how they all come together now? Satan, every single time, will say, I'll use your anger. And that's where we might want to remember what Jesus said about Satan's purposes, John 10.10. 10. It is to kill, steal, and destroy No matter what he's promising you, no matter what he's enabling you, no matter what he's whispering in your ear, ultimately it is to steal life, it is to kill, it is to destroy from you, from the other, from the situation. Matter of fact, he'll end up touching people from that that aren't even related with the thing you're angry about. God says, I'm not going to use your anger. And Satan says, I will. And Every single one of us in here, I'm going to probably more often than not have chosen to trust Satan. We trust Satan with our anger and we do not trust God with it. Why doesn't God want me? I mean, we're, we're assuming I'm right. You and I have an ability that, okay, So a wrong has happened. The wrong is real. The, po- the person is really wrong. But as you and I ignore Ephesians 4 and we tarry on it, I have a little phrase I use a lot. We add adjectives and adverbs. Oh, something really bad happened. But as I work it over and over in my mind, it becomes bigger and it becomes more. And the bigger it gets and the more it becomes pretty soon, I'm now holding that person accountable for something they no longer actually did. I'm beyond now with it. And that's why God is saying, I'm not going to use your anger because you're crazy when you're angry. You're going places I'm not going. You don't know what's really going on here. Do you know we always assume we know what's going on? You not only know the wrong action that has taken place, you know why they did it. You know what's really going on in their heart. You know everything about their motives for that. Can I tell you something? You don't. You never, ever, ever have known everything that's going on. Not once unless you are declaring that you yourself are the Lord God. You do not know what's going on in that guilty person... Don't hear me. I'm not letting them off the hook. They're guilty. They're wrong. And you do not know anything about what's going on in their heart. And you've never once doubted that you don't know what's going on in their heart. Do you see why God is saying, I'm not partnering with you on this? You know what else we do when we tarry long? We talk. Because I ain't ever going to be angry alone. Oh, no, we're having a party on this one. And I, I'm a little bit further along in Christ than a lot of y'all. So when I'm angry and when I'm talking, it's for good reasons. I'm, it's prayer. I just need somebody to pray with. Bible tells me to get wise counsel, so I'm just going to talk this out with you. We're going to work this out together. You know what's really going on is I just want this person to hate them with me. If it was really about prayer and if it was really about counsel, I've got good news for you. You never need to mention that person's name. If it's about prayer, we're praying for you. So all I need in my prayer partner here is, man, I'm telling you something, I'm not trusting God with this. I've lost perspective. I see it for my eyes, not God's. I do believe God should use my anger. I'm not waiting on him for vengeance or justice. I'm not waiting on him for anything. Would you pray for me? Has that how your conversation's gone? No, never. Because your goal isn't getting in touch with God, and your goal is not wise counsel. Your goal is that we hate them together. If you need wise counsel, again, hey, here's. I don't, need to, I don't want to talk with you about the person, but let me tell you what's happening. a matter of fact, find somebody that doesn't know the situation. Find somebody that doesn't know the person so that you can explain the situation without talking about the person and ask for counsel as it relates to you. As it relates to you. If, you're, if your desire is God's will, if your desire is working through this, then you don't need to mention the other person. God says, I am not going to use your anger. This is hard. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about y'all. But if we don't understand the spectrum that we've been given, here's what's happening. Either I am striving toward the ideal love of Christ or I'm practicing working like Cain. And how does Cain work? he tarries on it and he builds it up in his mind he builds it up so much that ultimately he has to kill his own brother i will not use your anger loving one another what what do you what do you hear When you hear that command. One of probably the most often repeated commands in Christianity. Often repeated commands in a church. If if we were to try to describe Christianity. We probably would use the word love. Oh God is love. And we love. I mean we know it. Do you see how far we are from practicing it? And it's with this very room. And let me say it again, walking in here and perusing the room and going, "Ah, there's nobody in here I hate, nobody in here I want to murder today. Not making any promises about tomorrow. That's not loving. Do you see why we need the church? Where do... Again, I'm going back to last week. I'm going back to that word practice. We saw last week practice righteousness. And we went home with an assignment to think about all the different areas and places of our life that we would practice being righteousness. And as he comes into verse 11, what's John doing? He's saying, you got to practice righteousness everywhere. But, boy, let's get to the, like one of the most important places. Let's get to relationships. No, hone down a little bit more. Our relationships with other believers. I really want you to practice righteousness with each other. I want you to love. What does that mean? Does that make I have just good feelings for everybody in here? No. It means you lay down your life. Well, okay, I can do that because I'm never going to have to do that. That's right. But since you're willing to lay down your life, think how much easier than everything else ought to be. See, that's why we're supposed to that's why the idea is that I enter the room, and I'm referring to Sunday morning, but, but enter the room on Sunday morning, enter the ministry on Thursday, enter the Bible study on Wednesday, enter the whatever, all week long, and we're looking to how do I engage with love in here. This is what being a Christian is. And you and I will think of ourselves as Christians for a thousand reasons, but this one. This one, love one another. Is there ever a time to stop loving? No. Is there ever a time to walk away? Yes. There is. That's challenging. I, uh, I may do a series on this one day. I may talk about this a little bit more one day. I want to recommend... I always recommend a book like the first Sunday in June because we got summer. I know you're heading to the beach. This is a book I hope you get some sand on. This is a book I hope by August there's some, some sand between the pages. It's called When to Walk Away by Gary Thomas. And uh, I've read several books by by Gary Thomas, and they're all excellent. They're all very, very biblical. They're all... They're all working with Scripture. And what he does in this book is he walks through the Gospels and he looks at places where Jesus walked away. And I do think it's important to know this because, you know, and this is about finding freedom from, the Bible doesn't use this word. It describes these people, but we use this word, toxic. Toxic people. Um, finding free, And I'll tell you, the worst person on the planet is a toxic person. Christian. Because toxic Christians know the verses to use against us. And there are some passages where loving and forgiving almost sounds like, I mean, I, listen, right now I know there's people sitting in here, you hear this message, and it almost feels like I'm sending you back into abuse. You just take it for Jesus. And no, when you're enabling somebody else to continue in sin, you're not loving them. That, that's not lo- loving one another does. It doesn't, I'm just going to stay here and be a punching bag for you. But, but how do we do that? And, and he, walks, he walks through that and gives quite a few principles and how we would apply that to our lives. But folks, even when we're walking away, do you realize the first step with a person is how do I love them? The second step, how do I love them? The third step, how do I love them? Fourth step, this is never the first step. We're never thinking first how we walk away. You know, our problem with loving one another is we've made it an event. Okay, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to make this call. I'm going to make, you know, and then I, I do it and I'm done. Whew, that, that only stung a little bit. Loving one another is something we do every single day with as many ways and with as many people as we can. And if you find it easy, you're not even close to doing it. If it costs you nothing, you're nowhere in the realm of loving like Christ. Look what loving like Jesus did for Jesus. I would say it cost them. I would say it hurt. They they abused him, they rejected him. They betrayed him and they hung him on a cross. And and as he's hanging on a cross with some of his final breaths, he says, Father, forgive them. Just as I have loved you. Love one another. Loving like Jesus should be so hard it overwhelms your prayer life. You you find everything on your prayer life just falling away. You don't have time to pray for all those other things because you're so overwhelmed day in and day out, week in and week out. I'm not saying it's always that bad, folks. But if you're loving like Jesus, it's work. If you're loving like Jesus, it costs you. If you're loving like Jesus, it drives you to prayer. It drives you to prayer. If you're not praying, you are 100% of the time living in a place where Satan and sin and Satan are using what you're doing. And you want to know the scary thing? If you're not praying, it's a 100% chance. If you are praying, it's still a pretty good chance. I'd love to say, boy, if you say, dear Lord, and, Amen," you're good to go. But I personally know I can pray about something to the Lord. And it's amazing how fast I can get right back to my way and my sin. This is what being a Christian is. And he never said, he never, ever, ever said it was easy. He never, ever said it was to be a lot of fun. He did say it will make you just like me. Which I think is the only goal we have on this planet. Love one another. Well, we've got a lot to practice this week, don't we? Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to pray. I, I don't. There's there's places, Lord. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be like you. <laughs> I don't want to be like you in that situation. I don't want to be like you in that relationship. I I don't want to do what you clearly are calling me to do. Lord, perhaps all I really need to hear is those words: "As I have loved you." You're not asking me to do anything for another that I am not desperately in need of you doing for me. Lord, you say this marks us as believers. I Lord, I want to I want to just pray for a second about us as a group, not not as individuals necessarily, although it's the group is individuals. Lord, I pray that the Heights Baptist would be so marked by loving one another that the 804 cannot help but look. They cannot help but look. God, what you had in mind when you brought people, people who would hurt each other, people who would fail each other, people who would wrong each other, that, 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 that God, when you brought us together, I pray the Heights Baptist could achieve every bit of that. That we would love as we're desperately dependent upon you loving us. God, give us strength. Give us courage. Give us mercy. God, what would happen in this place on any given Sunday? If thousands of us were approaching the gathering, approaching the room and saying, God, let me see. Let me hear the person that you want me to love today. Lord, make us the church you want on this, that we love one another. We ask for your help on this, Holy Spirit, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.